Thanking God for His mercy. All right, let's open up to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Sorry, I don't have the accent uh, there. I, I still got, I tried to work on it this week. After hearing Brother Terry the last two weeks, I was like, man, if I could just get that accent, Lord. I worked on it, brother, but it didn't work. Just not there. But I sure appreciate the lessons the last couple of weeks, my brother. Sure was good. Thank you for what you did to help us. Amen. Um, so Titus, we've been working through the book of Titus, and um, it's been a few weeks, so we need to go back and just do a little review. You know, there's only 46 verses here in the book, but uh, it's been very instructional. And I was thinking that, um, <clears throat> you know, it's important when you're reading through your Bible, that when you get to a book, that you understand a little bit about um, what the book is about so you you can receive it properly. And then there's other times uh, when you're looking for information and you need to know where to go. You know, so it's important to understand what a book is about so that you can either go there to find out the information you're looking for or in your regular reading you can apply it properly in your life. And, uh, and the book of Titus certainly has a lot... For us, I thought about this, I don't remember who said this, but I thought it was pretty good. It might have been Brother Roger, may have been someone else, but he said, chapter 1 uh, is about being right uh, internally, chapter 1 and 2, internally, being right, and then chapter 3 is doing right externally, that we might make a difference eternally. Amen. And so the the theme of the book, remember, is good works. We see five times that phrase, good works, and the purpose of good works is to open the door of evangelism. Amen. And so good works has its place, not for salvation, but for opening the door to evangelize the lost. And then we have the chapters of one is about uh, leadership, chapter two about membership, that'd be us in, in, the, in the pews, and then... Chapter 3 is about relationships, and we're going to see that, uh, that there are relationships without the church, and there are relationships within the church, and they're, they're both discussed here <coughs> in this chapter. We'll see that he deals with civil governments, and he deals with the laws, and with the people of the offices, and then he deals with, in the internal, he deals with the heretic and the helpers, and you see how to deal with each one of these situations. So I was thinking about um, this in, in regards to, again, um, the role of the church. And so as we get into this today, maybe this will become a little bit more clear for us here at East River Baptist Church and how God wants to use us here and how these scriptures apply. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into chapter 3. My Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to stand this morning and open your book, Lord, and uh, to just proclaim by the power of the Holy Spirit what you have written for us, Lord, that you have preserved for us. We know we can trust it, Father, and we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray now you'd show us how to apply each verse to our lives that we might be pleasing to you and might be all that you desire us to be here at East River Baptist Church and individually and in our families. For Jesus' sake, in His name, we do pray. Amen. With that said, let's read some verses here. We're going to read the first three verses in chapter 3. It says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, 
to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Wow, that's a pretty strong, that verse 3, we'll have to save that for a minute, but that's some pretty strong language there. Y'all agree with that? So, let's look at this issue of subjection, okay? Because I firmly believe that what he said there, he said that the first thing he talks about is being subject. And that means to be put below or under. And then he uses the word obey. And that, of course, he's applying, implying here and talking about the law. And so, there are th- those two things are necessary in order to get to the third thing, which was that we be ready to every good work. So, preparing to get ready is getting subject, okay, to the authorities over us, and then to be in obedience to the laws of the land. And, and of course, now that is God's will. Amen. And God has a will also for civil government, does He not? And sometimes, and He has a role for civil government, amen? And this is important, and we'll get into this a little bit more in just a second, but I just thought this morning, as I was meditating again on these verses, this morning the Lord, uh, you know, began, I began, you ask the Lord questions, and He gives you answers, and sometimes He gives you more questions, you know, and it's like, okay, what about that, and what about this, and you know, and you think back in, in history, and it's, it's somewhat implied here that these laws are good. Just like in the book of Proverbs when it says, He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. That's implied that that's a good wife, okay? You know, not every wife that you find, depending on how you're looking, is a good thing, amen? And so there's some implication here that these laws are good. But let me just say that the role that God, in Romans chapter 13, it says that the, that the government, the civil government, is, are ministers of God. Okay, so they're appointed to God to a ministry. And what is their ministry? Well, as Brother Roger taught me, he says, the, the, the civil governments deal with the fruit of sin. When I go down to prison tomorrow night, those men, the the civil governments, are trying to deal with the fruit of their sin in their lives. And so what's their ministry? Their ministry is one of refraining and, and reframing them from continuing in and restraining them so that they don't continue to commit the fruit of their sin. Okay, And then the second thing is they're trying to reform them, trying to get them to do better. Okay? And by the way, how do you think that's going? We used to do, well, I guess we're doing a pretty good job of some degree of restraining. We do lock them up, and that pretty much limits them from a lot of stuff, okay? But the problem is they stay locked up all the time, right? There's no reforming going on, really, is there? And this is where the second ministers, the second level of God's ministry comes in. So you have the civil governments, and then you have the church. And the church doesn't deal with the, with the uh, fruit of sin, but with the root of sin. Because, Brother Terry, we have more than what you see. There's a reason why we do what we do. And it's because of who we are. It's because of the root. And so the church's job is not to restrain them, but to redeem them 
to be used of the Lord to, for, for them to come to repentance and to, and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then change the root. And if we change the root, then we'll change the fruit. And it's a blessing when we get to work together in those two ministries it, it, because honestly, I believe that the only way that those men aren't going to repeat is because if they something major changes in their heart. You know, and that's where the ministry of the gospel can can work with the civil government. So, the 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 church's job is redeeming and transforming, amen. Because what does it say in Romans chapter twelve, verse verse two, that we are to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? And so this is the church's role. We should not confuse the two, okay? Because it's important. If we get confused here, uh, we'll think our role is different than what it is, and we'll think they're playing a role that they're not capable of playing. Amen? So what is the role of the church? Well, we saw in in chapter 1 here, Paul's first charge to Titus. Now remember the reason the book was written. If you understand the reason the book was written, you'll know what you'll get out of it is to put things in order. Right? And the first thing he told him was, preach the word. Preach the word. So the church's ministry has to involve with the, with the word of God being preached. And then the second thing is that it tells us in the Bible that we are to be the pillars in the book of Timothy and ground of the truth. So how does this work, okay, with civil government? All right? I thought back in history. Brother Roger, if we look at the church in Germany during World War II times, okay, and then we look at the church in colonial America here in the revolutionary days, there's a difference here, okay? Now, those those are maybe extreme examples, and, and certainly you could pick all of these apart, but basically the church in Germany did not stand as the pillars of the truth, you see? So they compromised the truth, for submitting or subjecting to the government. Subjection to the government is appropriate. We just read that, okay? But not at the cost of truth. And saying not at the cost of biblical truth. So I think about this, and how do we find that balance? And I don't have all the answers here. I want to be honest with you. And from time to time, we can fall out either way here. We can, But one thing that we do know is that if we don't stand for the truth, no one else will. Period. It's on us for that responsibility. Okay. Now, the government is a worldly institution. We should not be surprised when we, we con- conflict with each other in some respects and we contrast one another in our thinking. I mean, the world and God have never been friends and they're not ever going to be friends. They never think the same way. The world has a God and it's not the Lord, okay? And then the Lord has His will, okay? And the devil's trying to use the world and use our flesh to stir up to not, so we won't do God's will, amen? And so, so this is where the church, if we just focus on our role, just focus on being, being true to the Scriptures and what God's called us to, and, and people, you know, we talk about this, and we've even said this, and I've thought a lot more about this, Brother Roger, since you gave me that book uh, on the insanity of God. Why does persecution come? I had to go back and read that phrase that he said there a couple of times after that. I said, why does persecution come? Well, it's clear why persecution comes when you actually think about it. 
Because Jesus said, He says, if the world hates you, don't worry about it. It hated me before it hated you. Okay? He says, the, the servant is not greater than his Lord. He says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So the only reason persecution comes is because we live like Jesus. Because we allow Jesus to live through us. So will persecution come to America? I'm beginning to be afraid that it won't. Because the only reason it will come is if we actually live for Jesus. And right now, I'm not sure that we're doing enough of that to get enough attention for anything to happen. If we start, if we start letting the Lord Jesus Christ live His life through us, then you can rest assured, it will come to you individually. It will come to a few groups of people that do that, and eventually it will come to churches that do that. And if we even go back to COVID... Okay, so what are we going to do? Okay, so here we go again. We subject ourselves to the government over us, and they say, shut down. So now what do we do? A lot of churches shut down for a long time, and some of them never came back, did they, Brother Roger? Hundreds, if not thousands of churches never opened their doors again, and their ministries have been destroyed. And, and it's because they, well, Romans 13, we have to submit ourselves to the, to the government. And Brother Roger said, we'll be good citizens, which we'll get to in a second, but we still have a higher mandate of forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Okay? And a church is a called out assembly. So one thing, as Brother uh, Alan Gullick said, that one thing, you can preach online, you can sing online, you can worship, have worship or whatever. He said, but you can't have church. Because it's a called out assembly. So you can't assemble in your living room with somebody else in their living room across town. That's not an assembly. So we have a, guys, you understand there's a balance here. It requires that you have to take, you can't take a couple of scriptures here and put your whole belief about everything on that and ignore everything else. Y'all get that, right? You have to take the whole context of Scripture together. And so if we do that, it will give us the perfect balance. Because it says we're to be ready to good work. So you know what that means? That we're, we're to be looking for opportunities. Amen? So don't be contentious with authorities. And you know you've seen churches do that and, and not get the result they're looking for. And, and, uh, but we're to be working with them. Amen? And so it says, go down in verse 2. It gets personal now about the actual men of the offices and the people of the offices. It says, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So now I see that we're not against them. We're looking for ways to get along with them. We're to be gentle. We're not to be brawlers. And certainly we're to be an asset and not an antagonist. Okay, so when we have opportunities and it doesn't conflict with the Word of God, we certainly want to be ready to do good works. Amen? Because that's going to give us favor with God, which is what we need first of all, and then favor with man also. Amen? And that's the way good missionaries, if you look at them when they go into these countries, uh, that's, that's what they do. And you know, listen, I was up here one time, um, and Brother Eddie Mills was here, and Brother... Um, um, McCaffrey, we're up here talking, okay, and uh, Brother Bruce McCaffrey, a candlestick, a lighthouse, candlestick, candlestick, yeah, candlestick, uh, he, uh, he, was, uh, he was in China before he, came, they called him the pastor there, and they were having a conversation, and you know what they said, they both said this, the government knows what you're doing, 
And if you work within, if you don't make them look bad, even in a communist country, you know what I'm saying? And if you're not making them to look bad, you can go on and do the will of God and minister, and there ain't no surprises. They know uh, that you're there, and you know that they know you're there. Okay, and everybody gets along okay, and you're actually able to do the work of God. And so, but when we become antagonistic, that's different. Now the sword's going to come down on you. They're going to start to persecute you. Or more than likely, here's what's going to happen. And these men know this. They're going to say, you catch an airplane and go home. The rest of you going to jail. Who's going to suffer is going to be those that are left behind. They're going to put you on an airplane and fly you back home and you're, you're done. See, but your ministry's over and the people that you left behind are going to be, <coughs> going to be hindered because of it. So, I hope we get that. I think we do. And, and most of all, how are we going to be able to, how are we going to be able to, uh, be ready for a good work? Well, there has to be something different in us. And look what it says in verse 3. It says, For we ourselves also were. So there was a past for most of us. And by the way, even if you got saved as a kid, you know there was something different in your heart then than what there is now. But a lot of us got saved as adults. I didn't get saved till I was 30 years old. And so we know we had some foolishness. We had disobedience. And man, we were deceived and, and we were serving our own desires. We certainly all had that in our own pleasures. Uh, we were living in malice and envying and hateful and hating one another. So there, there is this uh, way that we can actually, in some ways, associate with them how we used to be that way too. And if it hadn't been for the grace of God and the mercy of God, which we're about to read about, we'd still be thinking like they think. Amen? And the only way they're going to think different is if, if what happens to us happens to them. Because if it wasn't for that, we'd still be the same as well. Amen? And so that's, that's the, the contrast here. And we were rebellious and selfish and hateful, but now we're gentle and meek. And, uh, and, and there's, a, there's a reason for that. There's a why to that, and it's in verse 4. Now, I want to remind you that gentle and, and meek, meek is not weak, meek is strength. Okay, you have to have strength in order to be meek, because meek means that your strength is under control, it's restrained, it doesn't, it doesn't fly off the handle at, at every whim, it's not controlled by your own passions, it's under the submission of a higher authority, the Lord himself. And so that's true meekness, because Jesus said, come unto me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Moses was described as the meekest man on the face of the earth. And he was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Amen? So you have to have power in meekness. And because you have power, you have the power. And it goes to that lesson Brother Kevin taught. You can, because you have power, you can control your spirit. Amen? And so that's certainly needful. But look at the, look at the why. Why is there this change? So he goes right from those terrible words at the end of verse 3 about malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. And he says, but, thank God for that but. says, after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward men appeared. Now, so what is it? Uh, Why did things change? It's because, number one, God initiated it. Y'all see that? God made himself and made this available to us. He made it to appear. It wasn't us that went looking for God. It was God that came looking for us. 
And, uh, and so what did he, how did he do this? So we look at the how, we see it was through his kindness and his love. And so don't you think that God uh, should be glorified in our lives based on the, the, his initiation and his love and his kindness that he has shown? Absolutely. And so our change, our peculiarness, if you will, has to be evident and then we can be ready. Okay, and now remember this, is that the closer in proximity you are to the people around you, the more opportunities that you have for them to see that you're different. It's not the bunker mentality, as Brother Rogers said. It's the lighthouse mentality. We're directing the way. And matter of fact, I was reading, I was reading on in his next book, Brother Roger, about the insanity of obedience, and he said that, you know, how do you go into these, these countries where Christians are persecuted? And they don't, most of them are illiterate. They don't read, they can't read the Bible, even if they had it in their own language. It says it's an oral uh, transmission of the gospel, but it's more than that. It's watch me to see how to live as a follower of Jesus. And that's what we ought to be doing around us because a lot of people got the tag on them in America, don't they? They're religious, they're Christian, they're churchy, but they're really not any different than everybody else. And that's what's hindering us here. This is why we're not making any headway, is that we just don't look any different than the people around us as a whole in America. That doesn't have to be true for us. There's no excuse for us not to be different in our world, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what the rest of the church is doing or anybody else is doing. It doesn't hinder me from having God work in my life and make me to stand out for His glory and honor as different. And uh, this is the contrast here that we have. But ultimately, you have to be around people for them to, to see you. And, uh, and that means that you even, guess what? Your flesh will get you occasionally and you'll mess up. And that's when you really have an opportunity to make an impact. Because now you've got to get right. And most people don't. You know that. So getting right, humility and honesty and seeking forgiveness is totally strange to the world. When's the last time? I wish we just had one leader that ever stood up and said, I messed up. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Would y'all forgive me? I learned from that. I won't repeat that. I could respect that. I'd probably vote for that. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's not, but it just doesn't happen today. And so it's easy, really, to be salt and light in the world and our communities if we'll just try to let the Lord be in control. Because we, look, the Lord knows what He got when He got us. Don't y'all agree? He knows that we're going to mess up, but He also, we also, He knows that we know how to get right. And that's what we got to focus on, is getting right, amen, and, um, and, and just sticking by the truth and the Word of God. Don't compromise that. And I want to say uh, here, as we look at uh, the kindness and the love of God appeared in a person, and we're going to see this down a little bit later in verse 6, but just remember that it appeared, and God made it to appear, and, uh, and we see in verse 5 how this transformation and how this appeared. How did God make all this happen? Look at verse 5. It says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
Well, amen. Thank God for that verse. You know, that's a verse that I've memorized a long time ago, but it sure makes a lot more sense. It's a good verse if you just take it out and memorize it, but when you put it into context, now it becomes extremely powerful. It says, yeah, you guys were like this. Okay, but after God initiated, and He sent His love and kindness, and, <coughs> and it appeared, He says, it wasn't by what your changes, it wasn't by your works that anything happened, but it was because of God's mercy. Amen? It was His mercy. And there were two agents working in our lives that caused this mercy to be effective. Did y'all get that? It says, by the washing... Of regeneration, and according to Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe here he's talking about the work of the Word of God. How does we get cleansed? How do we see our sin? It's by the Word of God. And then the second thing is, we see the regeneration or the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And that renewing, the only other time it's used in the King James Bible is in that verse we quoted earlier in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. The renewing of your mind. So there is a work that happens unto salvation. It's a work of mercy, Brother Jason. It's not by our, our works, but it is by God's work. And He uses the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Y'all see that? You know, um, <clears throat> I've been reading from multiple sources about this for, for a long time. And, and this comes up in the prison because sometimes these guys ask me about dreams and stuff, you know, and... Matter of fact, uh, the first or second week we had back after COVID, we were out for two years. I came back, and guy asked me about that. And he didn't like my interpretation of his dream, and uh, and so he never came back. He ne- I never saw him again because he wanted the dream to mean something more than it did. And he wanted to misapply some verses from uh, Isaiah chapter five, I believe it was there, but he wanted them to apply to something else, and. Um, and so anyway, the point is, is that does God still use dreams today? He does. And you know what? In that book, repeatedly, Brother Roger, when, it, when Muslim worlds in particular, when God would give them a dream, guess what always would happen? There was always one of three, two of three things that the dream always said. It said, find Jesus, find the Bible, or find the gospel said, get a Bible, find Jesus, or get the gospel and find Jesus. they always the same thing. So the dream was merely just pointing them in a direction. The dream in itself had no power, but God using it to direct them to the Word of God and the Son of God so that they might be saved. And you know what? People do get saved by that. Amen? And there's no church. There's no one to witness to them. It's just the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Amen. I was um, listening to a book uh, called um, "Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus," and uh, and this guy, same thing. So he, he so he had this dream, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I got to find out. So he's going and asking his imams and all these religious people, you know, uh, the Muslims, and what does it mean? He's starting to get pieces of it and without revealing that you know he's really you know he's investigating Christianity, and. Uh, Bottom line is, is that God will do that, but He'll point you to the truth in the Word of God and, the, and, and to find Jesus, or He'll point you to a person that can witness to you. And sometimes God's so good, He'll even send the person to you. Amen? He sent Brother Kevin and Sister Shiloh to Australia. Amen? It's like not that long ago, one of our missionaries 
Uh, it was a brother that's in the, to the death there in Kenya. I'll think of his name here in a minute. Some of y'all may know, but his ministry is to the, the deaf people in Kenya. And he's been there about 15 years. And just recently in his newsletter, he wrote, he said, well, I understand now why God sent me over here. There was a, a deaf girl that was birthed over there about 15 or 20 years ago. And uh, when, when she was born, the mother prayed that God would send somebody here that would be able to share the gospel with her. And so he said, well, I know why I'm here now. Somebody prayed and asked God, and God picked me and sent me over here. That's the way it works. God is good like that. He will do that. So verse 5, not by the works of righteousness. You can't get that confused. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, but according to it's by mercy. He saved us. And there's two agents involved, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Amen. And then lastly, look at verse uh, verse, uh, 6 here which ties us back up to verse uh, 4. It says, when I said it appeared in a person, it says, which he has shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now remember, it said God our Savior in verse 4, and it says Jesus our Savior in verse 6. We know the Trinity doctrine is true and repeated throughout the Word of God. And we see the Holy Ghost even mentioned in verse 5. And so, I thought about that verse... um, I mean, you know, he's talking about which is shed upon us abundantly. Jesus said that I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus wants us to have. And this grace, this mercy that God has initiated upon us, that he has made to appear to us, has come through a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, our Lord, and, as it says here, our Savior. Now, let me say this before we move on, that when it says this renewing and this regeneration in verse 5, all this that has been done, y'all do understand that God is the only one that can give life. Right? There was no big explosion of nothing that turned into something. Okay? It was, that didn't happen, okay? Nor could it ever happen, or nor is it even reasonable that it could happen, okay? So, um, you have to be extremely brainwashed and intellectual to the point that you think you have everything figured out in order to believe that. And ultimately, you have to be against God. You have to deny the obvious, okay, to want to believe that. But there was an initiation here, and the reason I want to bring this up before we move on is that because... 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. There was a new creation that occurred. Just as God initiated the first creation, he spoke it into existence. By his mercy, okay, he brought a new creation into existence. Went from an old man to the new man. Jesus said, "You must be born again." So Ephesians chapter two verse one says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and He hath quickened us. He hath made us alive. So we had a we were spiritually dead. Now we have a live spirit. Amen. And that's all the work of God. It was only because of His mercy, guys. Okay. So there's so much confusion about what you got to add to that. What could you add to that, honestly? What could we add to the perfect work of God, Brother Brent? Nothing. There's nothing. It's impossible, right? So just when you bump into people, 
here God's given us a wonderful book here to help show this and uh, and to explain this. And so I thank God for that. And um, and I want to say I want to get to this next verse, verse seven. And we'll probably stop here. It says that being justified. By His grace. Now, that word justified is a wonderful word. Don't you love seeing that word when it talks about you being justified just as you had not sinned? Your guilt of your sin has been removed. You've been made just with the judge of all men and His law. Because remember, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. What did He come to do? Fulfill the law. He did fulfill the law for us. Because we had no chance, Brother Gary, of doing that. Amen? So Jesus had to have lived a perfect life. And He did. Amen? He had to be completely human. And He was. Amen? 100% man, 100% God. I don't understand how that's possible, but God did it. That's the way He did it. And so He had to become as His brethren, according to Hebrews chapter 2. Okay? And then He had to offer up perfect blood that was sinless to the Father in order to pay for the sins of the world. And that's what He did. That's what he did. And so, and now because of that, we're justified and we see that it's by grace, which is an absolute, complete gift. It's not a reward. You know, you didn't do anything to earn it. Okay, it's kind of like we give gifts at, um, at birthdays, right? And I thought about that and I said, okay, what did the kid do about that? You know, the kid didn't do anything about that. It's a complete gift just because you are who you are. And that's what God did for us. He gave us a complete gift. There was no merit to deserve it. We didn't have any merit to deserve it. But because of that, now we have His righteousness placed to our account. And then it says that not only are we justified by His grace, but that we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That inheritance that we have. Uh, spoke of also in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, that we're joint heirs with Christ. That's a pretty amazing thing, don't you all agree? That, and, and look, it says there that that hope of eternal life, that inheritance is based on God's promise. Is that enough for you? God's promise, enough that you can claim that inheritance? Don't you think throughout the ages, throughout history, there's been times when the family gathered around for the reading of the will, and there's been some in there that had really high expectations. And then they were disappointed. Don't you think that's happened? You know there's no chance of that happening with God, right? <laughs> Amen. He tells you in advance exactly what He's going to do, and then He does it. Exactly. Now, I'll be honest with you, we don't completely understand all that we're going to get yet. I mean, I don't think we, we can grasp it yet. But we're going to get everything He says we're going to get. And a joint heir with Christ is enough for me. Amen? I mean, that's amazing. So we have an inheritance. And it's, and it's based on, basically, he, he mentions here, he says, according to the hope of eternal life, it's based on a promise. It's based on the, the person of God, who He is. We believe that there is no shadow of turning in Him. There's no variableness that He cannot lie, that He's always true and faithful, and He'll do exactly what He said. And I'm basing everything on that. And He's given me His Word to confirm it, Brother Roger. And I think that's enough, you know. It's like I told the men in prison, we were talking about that dreams and stuff. I said, why would God give you a dream when He, when he spent 1,600 years and 40 different men and two, three different languages and two different continents to give you a book and then preserve it for thousands of years? Why would He give you a dream when He's already given you this and you don't read it and care about it? 
He ain't going to give you no dream. He ain't going to give you no special revelation when you got the clear word of God right there in front of you and you don't even value it. You want God to tell you something in some kind of special way when He's got a book written for you in your language, giving you the ability to read? No, no, He ain't going to do that because He don't need to do that. He's already done it here. It's done. Amen. And thank God that it is. All right, we're going to pray and we're going to close there. And I'm going to pick up with verse 8 next week. Verse 8 is a a wonderful verse, summary verse. We'll pick up there and then we'll go into... We've been dealing here basically with those that are external, those those that are without the church. How do we, uh, we be a witness to them? How do we be ready to be good works to them? How do we deal with our civil government? Next week, we'll finish the book and we'll get into how do we deal internally with the ones that are in the church. Amen. Whether they be on the heretic side or whether they be on the helper side. All right. Any questions or comments? Okay, well, I'm glad y'all came back. And uh, now we're kind of warmed up there. We'll finish this up next week, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you, God, for the spirit of God, our teacher. We pray now you bless uh, the, the worship time, Lord, and the preaching time. Lord, use our pastor today, Lord, and help him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, may we have ears to hear, hearts to obey, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.